Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the month of January came to an end, and it didn't play out the way most people believed it would. Remember when the year began, everybody was so optimistic on the U.S. dollar. Remember I said that it was the most crowded trade, that it was just like gold the year before, where everybody was convinced that now that Trump was president and we're going to have all this economic stimulus, this fiscal stimulus, and that the Fed was going to be tightening rates more aggressively, the dollar had no place else to go but up, and everybody started the year long the dollar. Well, I just read that this was the worst January for the dollar in almost 30 years, 30 years. And you know, for all the fanfare and the hype about Dow 20,000. I think the Dow was only up about half of a percent in the month of January. I mean, it wasn't down, but a half a percent higher. I mean, you would think that it was much higher than that. And of course, measured in any other currency, right, the, the Dow was down quite a bit. In fact, if you just look at our mutual funds, and just give me an example just of what's going on overseas. First of all, our gold fund, my gold fund was up 12 percent in the month of January, which is probably, you know, pretty typical of most gold funds. But my value fund, my international value fund was up six and a half percent in the month of uh, January. That's what, 12 times the gain on the Dow Jones. You know, as a matter of fact, that fund is the number one fund. I checked it. It's the number one fund on Morningstar so far in 2017. It was also the number one fund in its category. There's like, I think, 400 some odd funds or so in the category. It was the number one fund 
for all of 2016, and it's already the number one fund for 2017. But if you look at the returns that are being achieved internationally, investing outside the dollar, investing in gold stocks, that's where all the money is being made. It's not being made in the U.S. stock market, which is barely up so far in 2017. And in other currencies, it's actually down. It's only up in dollars, but it's down in terms of uh, just about every other currency. So you wouldn't know that from listening to uh, the pundits. Everybody is so excited about what's going on. But again, this is probably how it all started when George Bush came in and people were still initially enthusiastic about what was going to happen. But the honeymoon uh, didn't last long, at least when it comes to the markets. Because the U.S. stock market went down, the dollar went down. Now, I know Donald Trump or his administration is not losing any sleep over the fact that the dollar is down. In fact, yesterday, the dollar had a big move down because of, or supposedly, this is what they blamed it on, comments coming from officials in the Trump administration, not just Donald Trump himself, but uh, other people in the administration, about how uh, other countries were not playing fair, particularly in Europe, Germany in particular, uh, accusing the Germans of having an undervalued currency, an undervalued euro, making similar comments about Japan and undervalued Japanese yen. So these comments weighed on the dollar because it's almost like Trump is already adopting a weak dollar policy. Because if you're saying that the euro is too weak, you're saying the euro is too weak, you're saying the dollar is too strong. If you want the euro to go up, then you want the dollar to go down. If you want the yen to go up, then you want the dollar to go down. So the president desires a weaker dollar. Now, I guess that's because they believe that a weaker dollar is going to improve our balance of trade. But it didn't under Bush. If you go back to George Bush and you look at how much the dollar lost during his presidency, the trade deficits went up. The biggest trade deficits we ever had were under George Bush, the annual trade deficits. As the dollar went down, it actually increased our trade deficits because we had to spend more money on all of our imports. And I think the same thing is going to happen again. We're going to get a weaker dollar, but it's not going to improve our our balance of trade. We're just going to have to import more and pay for it, pay more for what we import. So it's going to work the other way. But The Federal Reserve came out today with their decision on interest rates, and they, of course, decided to leave interest rates unchanged. It is the speculation of higher rates that initially boosted the dollar. But, you know, when today's Fed minutes came out to reflect their, you know, why they left rates unchanged, and by the way, it was unanimous, right? Nobody wanted to raise rates. It was unanimous. But remember, the Fed is already indicating that three rate hikes are coming in 2017. Now, if that's the case, people would have thought, well, maybe the Fed is going to give a hint as to when the first of those three rate hikes might come. But they didn't do that at all. There was nothing in this statement that would give you any indication that they're about to raise rates. I mean, they did talk about the fact that rates would go up gradually, but that's it. I mean, they've been saying that the whole time. They were saying that all last year, right? They said they need to be slow. They did. They said, again, they're not going to allow any bonds to mature. They're going to continue to roll over 
all of the interest and all of the maturing principal. So their balance sheet isn't going down anytime soon. They gave no indication that they were going to be shrinking the balance sheet at all. So, you know, very, very dovish as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the only supposed hawkish point was that instead of saying they expect inflation to return to 2%, they said it will return to 2% in the intermediate term. I mean, wherever the intermediate term is, but I don't know what they're talking about. We're already at 2% on inflation. So it's not about inflation getting to 2%. We're already there. And of course, we're way beyond there. I'm talking about the official estimates of inflation that the Fed is going to look at, right? They don't care unofficially how bad inflation really is. They're going to hide behind these doctored numbers. and But even those doctored numbers are showing that inflation is already at 2%. So the fact that it's already there, now they can say inflation will return to 2% over the medium term. Maybe some people were saying, well, that means that they're more likely to raise rates. No, no, it doesn't. Because just because inflation is going up doesn't mean the Federal Reserve is actually going to do anything about it. I don't think they are going to do anything about it. I don't think it matters how high the inflation rate goes. And to the extent that the Fed actually does deliver more rate hikes, it's only going to be in the context of inflation rising much faster than the Fed is raising rates. So the whole time the Fed may be raising rates, the real rate is still going to be falling. The Fed is not going to allow real rates to go up. So the only way they'll be able to raise rates at all is if they're lagging behind inflation so that they're always behind the curve because they know that they need to keep real interest rates negative and they cannot let real interest rates rise. Maybe they're willing to push up nominal interest rates, but only if they can do so without raising real interest rates. So to the extent that higher inflation will allow the Fed to raise rates, none of it's going to matter because real rates are going to be falling even if the Fed is raising rates. And that is one of the reasons that the dollar is down. And January was so bad, but we ain't seen nothing yet. I think this is just the beginning of a much bigger decline in the value of the dollar. And that means uh, commodity prices are going up. That means gold is going up. And that means money is going to start flowing out of U.S. assets into overseas assets and emerging markets, similar to what we saw under, under George Bush. And the fact that so many people think that, oh, this is good for the stock market. Like, look at the bond market getting clobbered. And you actually have a lot of people on Wall Street thinking, oh, this is good for stocks because, you know, now people are just rotating, right? They're going out of bonds and they're going to buy stocks. And that's kind of, you know, this is a good thing, right? People are going to leave bonds and go to the stock market as if, you know, it's just a, you know, either or. And if bonds are going down, then maybe stocks have to be going up. I mean, people are overlooking the fact that stocks and bonds over a longer term are positively correlated. The stock market and the bond market generally go up together. And that's what makes sense because it's falling interest rates that boost stock prices. Stocks do better in a falling rate environment, and so do bonds. So generally, it's not like one goes up and one goes down, like it's some kind of seesaw. They go up together. I mean, we've been in a bull market in bonds since 1980. That's one of the reasons that the stock market has gone up so much in nominal terms since 1980 is because the bond market has been propping it up, right? Because low interest rates are not only good for the stocks, right? It provides cheap financing. It enables them to buy back shares, uh, and it, it, it pads their earnings because they pay less for their debt. But also, just on a strict valuation basis, when you value a stock, 
you are taking the present value of all their future cash flows. And the lower the interest rate is, the higher the present value, right? The same thing with real estate. Commercial real estate is more valuable when bond prices are falling because commercial real estate is like a bond. You're collecting rent, just like a bondholder collects a coupon, right? It's a fixed rent over time. And what creates the value? The interest rate. So if we go into a rising interest rate environment, all of these financial assets, whether it's real estate or stocks, are going to have to go down. But you know, people still remain oblivious to that reality. And I think the only way that U.S. stock and real estate prices won't go down is if the dollar collapses. And then, of course, you know, they're going down in terms of other currencies. They're going down in terms of gold, right? All the people that want to talk about deflation, you know, I, I heard, listened to another interview with Harry Dent and, you know, talking about this massive collapse. And he thinks gold might be going down to 700, but he really thinks 400 or maybe 200. I mean, you know, and the Dow is going to collapse. I mean, massively, everything is going to go down. And the reason that, you know, there's just no way that that is going to happen is because the Federal Reserve won't let it happen. The government won't let it happen because they will print enough money because they do not have the stomach for that kind of deflation. They are not going to let the stock market crash. They're not going to let the real estate market crash. They're not going to let banks fail. They're not going to go back and uh, cancel or you know renege on commitments to make Social Security payments or to make payments to uh, government retirees, pension payments. They're, they're not going to allow all this stuff to happen. They are going to print money. And so if they print enough money, then the stock market doesn't have to go down. The bond market doesn't have to go down. The real estate market doesn't have to go down because the dollar goes down instead. Now, of course, in real terms, they're going down, but in nominal terms, they're not. And that's really all the politicians care about. They just want to have a high number on the Dow. They just want your house to have a high value. They don't care what happens to the dollar. They don't care what happens to the real value. They don't care what your house is worth priced in gold. Right. They just care what it is priced in dollars because they don't you know, when the when they when they price these things or when they put the Dow on television, they say, hey, the Dow's at 20,000. They don't say, you know, what it is, how many ounces of gold it is. So so, so people politically, no one cares about that. So the only way that we don't get a big decline in U.S. stocks and bonds and real estate is if there's a massive decline in the dollar instead. But if there is a massive decline in the dollar, which I believe is coming then there's no reason to be invested in U.S. stocks because you're not going to make anywhere near the real returns that you would make investing in overseas markets. And we're already seeing that. Just the first month of this year is already showing that the returns are being made internationally. The returns are being made in gold and gold stocks are being made in emerging markets, the opposite of where everybody expects them to be. And Wall Street, they still haven't figured this out yet. I mean, they're still pounding the table on the U.S. stock market and how we're the only game in town and this is the place to be and the dollar is going to go up and the U.S. stock market is going up. Meanwhile, none of that is actually happening, right? Beneath the surface, the opposite of that is happening. And at some point, people are going to start figuring this out. And then when I do, then I think these trends are going to accelerate. Now, we did get some positive economic news that came out this morning and if it wasn't for this report, I think the dollar would have moved down a lot today and gold would have been moved, moved up even higher. And that was the ADP employment number for January. And they were expecting 151,000 uh, payroll jobs, private payroll jobs. And we got 246,000. 
So that is a big beat, and it's much higher than the 151,000, which we got uh, for the prior month, which, you know, that was originally reported 153, so they revised it down slightly, but big beat on this number. Now, this ADP number, sometimes they have some real outliers, so we don't know. We've got to get the government number, right? The official number comes out on Friday, but I think this got the markets now looking for some better economic news on, on the job front. Now, I don't know how much of this is just a quirk in their data, or maybe there really were 246,000 jobs, but it's possible that a lot of the small businesses that, remember, small business optimism now spiked up to the highest it's been in, what, 30 years? I can't remember how many. And so maybe a lot of these businesses that are now so optimistic about this booming economy under Donald Trump, maybe they did actually hire a few more people based on this you know, unfounded optimism that I ultimately think is going to leave a lot of employers disappointed. But again, the makeup of these jobs is still overwhelmingly service sector jobs, overwhelmingly low-paying jobs, probably the lion's share being part-time jobs. So that hasn't necessarily changed, but maybe there is a little bit more optimism. So I think that has, that, that put a bid into the dollar uh, and I think, uh, you know, took a little of the shine off of gold, but still gold was barely down today. The big day update was yesterday. We were up, you know, what, 15, I mean, maybe 18 or 19 bucks at the high, but back above uh, 1,200. And even though we were down slightly today, we're down, I think, only about 70 cents. You know, we just below 1,210. So still a strong number. Silver is still, yesterday, silver was up 40, 50 cents. So, and it only gave back about 4 cents today. I think it's about 17, a little over 17.50. And the dollar index got down to 99 and a half. And even with the much better than expected uh, jobs numbers, uh, we only managed to get back, you know, 0.2 of that. So we're still about 99.70 and change on the dollar index. And I think that the dollar index did sell off a bit once the Federal Reserve uh, statement on rates was released, because I think there were people that thought that the uh, the Fed would give some indication that, hey, we might make we might hike in, in March. But they gave no such indication because I don't think they have the intention of doing it. You know, there's a lot of people that think that the Federal Reserve now, they really want to raise rates because they want this whole thing to collapse under Trump. And this is a convenient scapegoat that, you know, they could blame all the problems on Trump, not on the Fed, having kept rates so low for so long. And the fact that they raised rates and the market collapsed doesn't mean that the market collapsed because of rates. It just collapsed because of Donald Trump and the whole economy. But, you know, Trump, Trump hasn't been there that long. And if they really start raising rates uh, in 2017 and everything falls apart, you know, it's really hard to just blame it all on Trump. I think a lot of that backlash might come to the Fed. They would accuse the Fed. Now, instead of keeping rates too low for too long, I bet a lot of people would accuse the the Fed of raising them too quickly. Like, ah, that was your mistake, right? You shouldn't have raised rates so aggressively. So I think the Fed still wants to keep it together. I think if Janet Yellen believes that Donald Trump's not going to reappoint her, I don't, I don't think she wants to risk anything bad happening while she's still at the Fed. I think she'd rather keep rates really low, make sure nothing bad happens, and then you know let something bad happen on whoever Donald Trump appoints. Let it happen on his watch. You know She might want to get out of Dodge before this happens. So I don't think the Fed is looking to be more aggressive on rate hikes. And of course, since the Fed was so slow under Obama, if the Fed all of a sudden really started raising rates then I think Trump could say, hey, this is a double standard. I mean, why is the Fed being so aggressive now 
when they were so timid under my predecessor. See, they're actually deliberately trying to undermine me. So I don't think that Yellen or the rest of her cohorts at the Fed are really anxious to try to deliberately hurt the economy with rate hikes. Right? I think that they're going to be just as slow as they were before, only, only if inflation really, really spikes up. Is it possible that they might come up with another quarter point, but only because they would have the assurance that rates were still even more negative than before they hiked, right? Because of inflation, let's say inflation goes from uh, 2% to 3%. And as a result, they kick rates up an extra quarter point. They're, st they're still 75 basis points lower in real terms because the Fed didn't keep pace with the acceleration in inflation. But absent that, absent a big jump in inflation, I don't see any kind of move uh, by the Fed, even though they've telegraphed three rate hikes. I just don't see it because I think they've got too much to concern, to concern themselves with. And, of course, you know, now you've got all the talk about protectionism. You've got, you know, throwing down the gauntlet I mentioned earlier, you know, with Germany and with Japan over currency rates. And now we're, are we going to retaliate? And, of course, we've already been uh, beating up on China. We're beating up on, on Mexico for all the things that we're saying that they do that it's unfair. Look, you know, you have other currencies that were a lot stronger than the U.S. dollar. I mean, go back to the period of George Bush when the euro, the euro was at 160 at one point under Bush. I mean, the dollar got clobbered. Yet Germany wasn't saying that America was cheating by having an undervalued currency. I mean, look at how much the dollar declined in value during the presidency. And nobody accused us of cheating by undervaluing our currency. In fact, when we did QE, nobody said that, you know, we were debasing our currency. I mean, in fact, when Japan, the Japanese responded to uh, these allegations by saying, look, we're not trying to debase the, the yen. We're just trying to create inflation, which, which was kind of ridiculous because that's what creating inflation is. They're saying our policy is designed to create inflation. We're not trying to weaken the yen. We're trying to create inflation. But that's what inflation is. You're making prices go up in terms of yen. So if you have a monetary policy designed to create inflation, your monetary policy is designed to weaken your currency. But they're somehow thinking that the domestic purchasing power of the currency is somehow separate from the exchange rate of that currency versus other currencies. When in the short run, potentially it could be. But in the long run, obviously, that's not the case. It's the domestic purchasing power of the currency that ultimately determines its value. Because if you've got Japanese yen, where can you spend them? In Japan. Japan is where goods are priced in yen, no place else. So ultimately, what gives the value to the yen is what you can buy with it in Japan, right? And, and, and so to say that there's, there's no connection between domestic inflation and the value of our currency is absurd. But it shows you the level of discourse that's there, that they have to deny that they're trying to weaken their currency. All they're trying to do is create inflation, which is the exact same thing, only by a different name. Of course, the big economic number is going to come out on Friday. It's going to be the first job number of the Trump presidency. It's the job number for January. Now, Trump wasn't president for the entire month of January, but I'm sure if it's a really good number, like today's ADP, he's going to be all over that to claim credit. If for some reason it's bad, it'll be, well, you know, I, you know, it's because of uh, this, it's the last uh, report for Obama. Maybe it wasn't soon enough, but I will be uh, certainly uh, commenting on that number. And my guesstimate is, even if it is a better than expected number, you know, my my thing is 
that the dollar's not going to rally. Just like it didn't really have much of a rally today, I don't think it'll have much of a rally. If anything, it might the dollar might rally short term and then turn around. Same thing with gold. Gold might uh, sell off a bit and then catch a bid and rally. Of course, if we do get a weak number, then the dollar is going to get smoked and gold is going to have a huge update. But judging by this ADP number, and you know we have had a, uh, a tendency of these jobs numbers to beat. But you know even if we still get another superficially good number beneath the surface, it's going to be lousy. It's all going to be part time jobs. It's going to be low wage jobs. You know, we're probably going to have more people leaving the workforce. We're probably going to have, you know, record, uh, record low labor participation. But there is one uh, factor that may come back uh, to bite the administration. If there is really so much optimism about all these jobs that are going to be created now that Trump is president, it is possible that some of the people who are now not looking for work might decide to come back into the workforce and try to find one of these great jobs that is supposedly out there waiting for them. And if that is the case, that would increase the official unemployment rate, because now if people are looking for jobs, they're unemployed until they find one. If they're not looking and they're not working, then they don't count. So I'm, I'm waiting to see if that if that happens. I wanted to also let everybody know about some of my upcoming appearances. I meant to say something on the podcast about being at the resource conference, the Cambridge House Conference in um, Vancouver, and totally forgot to mention it. So I want to make sure my next appearance coming up is the Orlando Money Show. And I'm going to be there, I think it's Wednesday, February 8th or so through Friday. I'm on a couple of panels. I got a couple of workshops. So it's the Orlando Money Show. Certainly, if you're in the Orlando area, come by. It's free to come to the Money Show. Uh, if you want to fly down there, you know, you got to get yourself down. There's a lot of flights. I know it's kind of a last minute to talk about on the pod, on the podcast. I got to kind of do things in advance. But a lot of people listen to this. They're in the Orlando area. Make sure and come down to the Money Show. But, of course, you can come down. It's right there at Disney World. You can take your kids, you know, go to the Money Show, uh, hang out with me for a while, come by our booth, and then, you know, you can go to, uh, to Disney World. Give you a little bit more of a heads up, though, on, on an event that I do now every year is this cruise, this uh, Investor Summit at Sea. And I've been doing this now for a few years with these, uh, the real estate guys, and it is a great time. There's a lot of uh, valuable information. I'm going to be speaking there. Also, G. Edward Griffin is going to be there. Some of you might have read his book, The Creature of Jekyll Island. So he's a really interesting guy. But there are a lot of other speakers. I forget off the top of my head who's going to be there. And I know that Cruz does have a real estate orientation because it's put on by the real estate guys. But they do have, I think, oh yeah, Brian London, I think, is there, uh, who does the New Orleans Conference. So there, there's some hard money people there. Um, and so... It's a, it's a good group of people, but it's a lot of fun on the cruise. And you get to spend a week uh, with me. I, I'm, you know, I bring my wife on and my kids, so it's a, it's a good time. It's a cruise in um, around the Caribbean. And so if you're interested, that one you definitely want to uh, reserve in advance. It's early April. You can go uh, to realestateguysradio.com or just look at the Investor Summit, and see, Summit at Sea to sign up. It's from April 1st to April 9th. Right? And so, you know, I think we it starts out in Houston and it comes back to Galveston and they have three stops, Roatan, Belize and Cozumel. And there's some classes before we go. There's some classes and speakers uh, on the cruise, but there's a lot of fun. It's a great time. So hopefully we can see some of you there. In fact, the real estate guys, they have their own band 
right? They're all very musical and they have a band. And my wife is uh, the singer. She's the female uh, lead singer uh, for their band. So if you want to get a chance to hear my wife uh, singing in a band, again, that's another reason to come to the Investor Summit at Sea with the Real Estate Guys and me, April 1st through April 9th, 2017. I'm not sure how many more uh, cabins or how much more availability they have. So if you are thinking about going, I would try to reserve my cabin uh, as quickly as you can. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams and How to Avoid Getting Ripped Off for Free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.